1: Welcome to another week of Diffusion, the peak of your scientific week. My name's Emily Fern and this week I'll be co-hosting with my good friend Celine Steinfeld and we have an absolutely jam-packed half hour of sciencey, delicious goodness for you to absorb. A little later, our New York correspondent Kachina Allen will be exploring the weird and wonderful world of water. And our beer-drinking scientists? Well, who knows what they'll explore.
3: So if you're listening to us in Sydney on 2SCR or across Australia on the Community Radio Network, or you're even potting us into your ears anywhere across the globe, sit back and let Darren Osborne infuse all the latest science news into your mind.
4: The recently released 2006 State of the Environment Report has highlighted the major threat posed by introduced plants to Australian fauna and floras. The report found that after land clearing, invasive plants are the biggest threat to the survival of our native species. These findings mirror a report recently released by the Weed CRC, which included a list of 127 invasive plant species, including lantana, blackberry and scotch broom. Nearly three-quarters of these invasive species escape from parks, gardens and ornamental collections. Of these killer weeds, many are still available in garden centres around Australia, and according to Dr Rachel McFadden from the Weed CRC, many of these plants may look beautiful and harmless in a small pot, but when they get loose in the landscape they can cause havoc strangling and smothering native vegetation and depriving our native birds and animals of their main sources of food. Since European settlement, an estimated 27,000 plant species have been introduced into Australia, almost twice as many as existed here before. 3,000 of these have adapted well to the Australian landscape and successfully reproduce in the wild. She also warns that decorative grasses and succulents which are now being planted in low-water-use gardens are naturally tough and many are highly invasive in both agricultural and natural landscapes. Australian and US scientists have discovered a new group of extremophile in an abandoned mine, according to their scientific paper published recently in Science Journal. Dr Rick Webb from the University of Queensland was working with scientists from the University of California to assess acid mine drainage. The organisms known as AMEN, which stands for Archaeol Richmond Mine Aciophilic nanoorganisms were found in acid samples from the mine and had a pH level of between 0.5 and 1, which is equivalent to battery acid. Even more outstanding was the minute size of the organisms. According to Dr. Webb, they're so tiny they are smaller than the minimum size expected on the basis of theoretical considerations for free living cells. Rick Webb and his colleagues did not isolate the microbes in the laboratory or use polymerase chain reaction, the methods normally employed to identify new microbes in the environment. Instead, they used a newly developed method of studying the entire genomic information of the samples. He said, We found them by directly isolating genomic DNA from the mine and sequencing the genomes of the organisms present. Rick Webb said further study would be required for scientists to get a firm understanding of the existence of these newly discovered organisms. And finally, a new study conducted by the University of Wisconsin-Madison Centre in the United States concludes that breast cancer patients who prey in online support groups can obtain mental health benefits. Researchers at the university analysed message transcripts from 97 breast cancer patients participating in an online support group from Wisconsin and Michigan. The analysis found that people who wrote words suggestive of religious belief and practice, such as pray, worship, faith, holy and God, had lower levels of negative emotions and higher levels of self-efficacy and functional well-being. According to associate scientist Brett Shaw, Participants used religion to cope with their illness, which included putting trust in God about the course of their illness and consequently feeling less stressed, believing in an afterlife and even less afraid of death. The results of the study were published in an advanced issue of the Journal of Psycho-Oncology.
1: And you're listening to Diffusion Science Radio, the bestest science show on air. Up next, we've got Kachina Allen, who will strive to deepen the nodding acquaintance most of us currently have with water.
5: Weird, wonderful water. You drink it, cook with it, bathe in it, and more than 60% of you is comprised of it. But how well do you really know water? Probably not as well as you think. The chances are that you've made tea or coffee, and you know that water boils to steam at 100 degrees. Similarly, you know it freezes into ice cubes at zero degrees. But water is one of the most mysterious liquids around. Physicists and chemists are still discovering just how strange water really is. So what is water? Water has a chemical formula of H2O and thus is comprised of molecules made up of one central oxygen and two hydrogen atoms in a bent V-shaped formation. Atoms are made up of a nucleus orbited by electrons. Electrons carry a negative charge. The nucleus has a positive charge that attracts and maintains the electrons in orbits around the nucleus. The oxygen nucleus has a strong positive charge, and hydrogen a weaker one. Thus, in a water molecule, the central oxygen atom is very strong and pulls electrons from the hydrogen such that they spend more time closer to the oxygen, the center of the V, and less time around the edges of the hydrogen, the ends of the V. This leaves the ends of a water molecule with a slightly positive and the middle with a slightly negative charge. These slight charges are enough to allow weak bonds, known as hydrogen bonds, to set up between adjacent molecules. It is these hydrogen bonds which give water its amazing properties. To see these bonds at work, pour water into a glass and also into a transparent plastic cup. If you look carefully through the sides of the glass, the top of the water forms a gentle U shape and is higher at the sides of the glass. This is called a meniscus. It forms because glass also contains slightly charged molecules, and thus water sticks to the sides using hydrogen bonds. Plastic does not contain charged molecules, and thus a meniscus does not form. The water level in plastic should appear flat. So what's so weird about water? First, let's look at ice. Yes, ice, the cubes you put in a summer drink. Let's think for a moment about a glass of iced water. If you know much about weather, you'll know that hot air rises and cool air sinks. Similarly, the water at the bottom of a swimming pool is cooler than the top. This is because warm things are less dense than cold. When warm, atoms have more energy to push away from each other and thus lower the density. This is why gases generally rise and solids generally sink. Yet ice cubes at 0 degrees Celsius float on warmer water. In fact, water is most dense at four degrees Celsius. Water is almost unique in being less dense as a solid than a liquid, but this very property has an enormous effect on life on Earth. Because ice floats, ponds, rivers, lakes, and oceans freeze at the top first. This leaves an insulated layer of water which stays warmer, allowing fish to survive harsh winters and ice ages. So what else is weird about water? Water can turn from ice to steam without boiling. It turns out this isn't as weird as it sounds. It's a result of a chemical process called sublimation. Rather than melting and then continuing to heat until water boils into steam, some water molecules escape straight from ice to gas form. The reverse can also happen when frost forms. Gaseous water vapor converts directly to solid ice without becoming liquid first. This is true of many substances not just water. Water ice can form at room temperature. Relatively recent research has shown that water appears to crystallize into nanoscale ice bridges in very thin, a couple of atoms deep, films of water. Experiments suggest that this may require the presence of a tiny electrical current. The electrical currents needed are so small that they could well be created in nature in rock crevices and the like. So perhaps your garden pond is freezing, even in summer. Thanks,
3: Katina. We're now not so wet behind our ears.
0: It's for us to shake and hear like this. get it all Increases the chance of misinterpretation So let your hips do the talking I'll make you laugh by acting like the guy who sings And you'll make me smile by reading
6: How diverse they look, how diverse their genes are Diversity drives the planet Uh, Imagine going to a party and everyone looked the same And behaved the same and liked the same things It'd be deadly boring The same is true of the world We want a world where everything is different every day I like things to be different I get bored if
0: everything's the same
6: 2SER, a wonderful program Always diverse, always interesting Always intellectually challenging
1: and that was I'd Rather Dance Than Talk With You by the Kings of Convenience.
2: Now here we go, dropping science, dropping it all over. Like bumping around the town, like when you're driving a Range Rover. I've been dropping the new science. And I've been kicking the new knowledge. And i to a degree
0: that you can't get in college. It's the sound of science. The sound of science.
3: So what do you get when you combine two men, beer, and a love of science? Trick question, you think? Well, here the boys at Diffusion have come to enlighten us.
6: to beer drinking scientists we're here at the james squire brewery down on the king street wharf very close to darling harbour as you can tell in the background it's a very busy evening my name is darren and i'm joined here by my good friend mark how are you
2: going i'm good thanks darren it's great to be down here you're looking rather nice tonight i think with the moustache yeah, look, we, we, we've been putting in the hard yards over the last, what, nearly three weeks now,
6: and I, I think uh, it's starting to come of age. I think now we're starting to realise the full potential
2: of the mow. Well, this is true. And now we can drink beer and have the nice, white, frothy, frothy stuff, you know, caught. Yeah, I, I kind of understand now what men with beards talk about when they're saying, you know,
6: we're capturing the flavour for later on, because I know this morning when I was brushing my teeth, it took me a while to get the foam
2: <laughs> out of my mow. <laughs> Yeah, you need to wash your face, actually, which is something I haven't ever done. So <laughs> It's a weird sensation. All right, we're sitting here
6: um, at the James Squire um, brew House. If you haven't been here, it's very close to Darling Harbour, and they, they have on tap a number of the beers which they brew. Of course, you can buy them from bottle shops. We're enjoying, by default, a James Squire India Pale Ale, also known as IPA. And I might hand you over to Mark, who might give you a bit of a description about what his
2: thoughts are on the IPA. Well, it's not such a bad beer. It's quite bitey, really. It's a little bit acidic. It's making me hungry, it being our second beer. According to the menu, it's uh, brewed with all pale and Munich malts. James Spire's India Pale Ale is rich and robust with the earthly floral dry hop character of Fuggles Hops. I've never come across Fuggles Hops before. I've heard of Muggles from Harry Potter. I've heard of Fugly as a term. I've, we're not looking Fuggly at all. Tonight we're looking uh rather resplendent with the foam in our mustaches. Anyway, it's made for tasting with respect. I'm giving a lot of respect. It complements the Brewhouse Chicken, which we haven't tried yet. No, and look, I, I don't know about respect. I'm, I'm, I've been drinking it
6: now for a good five minutes, and, and look, at, I have to admit, it's not one of my favourite beers. Um, it's a little bit acidic. It's a little bit sharp. It leaves you wanting to put something else in your mouth. To be quite frank, but look, it's not as offensive as VB. Let's let's not criticise it too much. Uh, look on the on the five star scale. I mean, we have to come up with some scale of some sort. Yeah. I, I'll give it a a two and a half. It's harsh, but you know, two and a half from me.
2: Yeah, I think I'm with you there, Darren. I think two and a half from me as well. I'm not. It's not a bad beer. I mean, but any beer you pay eight dollars a pint for, I, I think this was. Yeah, well, and being a Friday night as well, you can't be harsh. All right, well, one of the main
6: reasons why we're here, apart from drinking beer in very noisy pubs, is to have a look at some of the science issues that are of utmost importance and and hoping that the alcohol will somehow, uh, I don't know, kill off the dud brain cells that do no thinking and allow those that are of entire intelligence to float to the top. So the first one we're going to look at in this episode, we're going to look at uh, why is it that when one gets into the water, whether it be a pool, whether it be the ocean, it feels
2: so bloody cold. Mark, what are your thoughts on this? I've got to say, when I get into the cold ocean, it's never really cold for me because another natural response happens and, you know, you urinate and that warms you up. (laughs) Oh,
6: I'm keeping a wide berth from you when I go (laughs) swimming. I, I have to admit, too, like, I, I do notice that it is cold, but being a being an old Victorian boy, um, I'm kind of used to that because the, the water is never warm. It's never warm in Victoria. Don't kid yourself. Those boys who surf down at Bells Beach, they're covered in wetsuits. They're kidding themselves if they think they're going to go in in a pair of Speedos or what we affectionately call budgie smugglers. But an interesting um, observation here I picked up from New Scientist magazine. A lot of readers seem to think that... Uh, it's got to do with the fact that the abdomen is much warmer than the legs because this is an interesting thing. When you get in, you put your legs in, and that's fine, but
2: it's when you get to the midriff, the torso region, that things go all horribly pear-shaped. Do you notice that, Mark? I have noticed that. I'll pull you up on an earlier point. But Bell's Beach is an awful beach. Just the one time I went there, <laughs> it really isn't much of a beach. Anyway, and hello to our Victorian listeners. But yes, apparently the... The cold sensation, the, re- the reason it feels rather bad is because of the difference in temperature between your midriff and the actual ocean. And your midriff is warmer because of the uh, the body warmth in that area or the digestion and the processing that's going on down there is warming your body up and keeping it warm. Although I imagine most men would probably think that when you hit a little bit lower than the midriff, more around that testicle region... I was
6: or say, let, let's get to the point. Which region are we talking about?
2: Around your... Uh, cubic regions there are a lot of sensitive nerves which probably also add to the fact that you're feeling an incredible coldness.
6: Well it's quite interesting I mean one of the other things that that comes to mind when I'm thinking about body temperature and I'm thinking about blokes is I don't know if you've ever had to share a bed with a woman and and, I mean I look at you Mo and I think well you know quite likely tonight you may be but have you ever noticed that girls are cold they're always cold and they always come up to you and they say warm me up Or or they do that whole spoon approach where they they sort of get in that spoon position and and back their rear end into you, and you think, holy heck,
2: here comes the iceberg that hit the Titanic. But to be honest, um, when they do that, I generally wake them up in the morning, around about six o'clock, with like a rather large, you know, something poking into their back. So it's probably all evens out. I think that probably feels rather warm. Oh well, that that just took it down a level. (laughs) I wasn't expecting that
0: call.
6: One of the things uh, that one, one rider and a new scientist suggest is, is is a very interesting technique to compare the difference between one's legs when you're getting into the water and one's stomach. And, and I'd like to try and change this analogy slightly, given the setting we're in. They suggest that you take a, an ice-cold Aussie lager in one glass and take a fairly warm English ale and dip your finger, one finger, from each hand in either one. Leave it there for a couple of minutes. And then, you know, put a glass of water at room temperature in the middle and then put both fingers in there and you should feel that both are different. So the one that was in the Aussie lager will now feel warmer and the one that was in the English ale will feel a bit
2: colder. It probably wouldn't work with beer, but look, give it a go anyway because you could drink the contents afterwards. Apparently this works because of the temperature difference. You, You notice something's cold or something's hot because of its difference in temperature to yourself. Have you ever tried making someone wet themselves at night by putting their hands in lukewarm water, Darren? I've heard of this phenomenon, but I've never actually seen it seen it done. Does it work? I've never actually tried it. I've only seen it in such things as American pie. But uh, I think that the reason that happens is because it relaxes your body, I think. Go, go into detail. Tell tell us exactly. So if anyone
6: is out there, I mean, we, we challenge people out there to try this out and to get back to us and tell us if it works. How, how does it work? Well, what, what do you do?
2: Well, what you do is you, you, you take your sleeping friend or your sleeping cold girlfriend who's wanting to spoon you at night and you take their hand and you place their hand in lukewarm water whilst they're asleep. And apparently this will make them urinate. So if anybody has any experience of this and wants to try this as an experiment, why don't you write us an email?
6: But look, I I think it's all very interesting, and and I don't know about you, but I'm I'm going to get to the end of this this, uh, IPA, hopefully quench myself with a a slightly different beer. And and look, it's been great talking to you, Mark. I hope you've enjoyed our little chat this afternoon.
2: I very much enjoyed it. I'm going to get to the end of this beer, maybe have another one. It's actually getting better over time, isn't it?
6: (laughs) It is. Look, thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll be back soon with more Beer Drinking Scientists.
1: Well, I don't know about you, Cell, but I'm a little thirsty now. So that just about wraps it up for this week. If you'd like any information on any of the stories we featured today or if you'd just like to share your science thoughts or questions, go right ahead and send us an email to diffusion at 2ser.com.
3: The voices that tantalised your ears this week were Darren Osborne, Kachina Allen and Mark West. Diffusion was produced and recorded by Mark West this week in 2SER's Penthouse Studios in Sydney. Diffusion is broadcast nationally via the Community Radio Network and across the world through our podcast. You can search and subscribe to Diffusion on iTunes or at DiffusionRadio.com.
1: We're Emily Fan and Celine Steinfeld, and I hope you will join us next week to feed your inner scientist. We'll now leave you with Common Denominators, a song by Nonplus. You can check them out on MySpace.com. Ciao! your properties of matter,
0: countries I can't even pronounce, champagne, cocaine, society darling, flirting with disaster, endeavors you truly denounce.
5: treat, sensationally, affectionately, deliriously, a lovely comment.
0: we